0: It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist,
1: featuring all the latest news and insight
0: on the association. Now joining the Big Show, Senior NBA Writer for Sports Illustrated, Chris Mannix, on 97.5 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network.
1: Writes for Sports Illustrated he is Chris Mannix. Happy New Year, Chris.
0: What's going on, guys?
1: Hey, we're just uh, talking about the Jazz' next opponent, uh, the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, Kevin Durant uh, out for a week thanks to COVID nineteen tracing. But give us your give us your take on the Nets and uh, if it will work and how it will work.
0: Well, they with Durant, they are a outstanding offensive team. Um, you know, Durant physically looks like he's all the way back, uh, and it's not just offensively, but some of the defensive sequences I've watched him play have been fantastic. So I I think he, if he gets enough games in, is going to be an MVP candidate this year. And Kyrie, you know, for all of his, you know, behind the scenes madness, he is still one of the most skilled players in the entire NBA in a proven score at that uh, position. So I, I think they've got a great chance to be dynamite offensively. It's just, Defensively, they're lacking. Kevin Durant plays a lot of four with this team, that leaves them a little soft physically up front. DeAndre Jordan, Jared Allen have been fine, but they need a little more physicality, a little more defense to, to be considered uh, among the elite teams uh, in the NBA. But look, it's a good starting point to have you know an ex MVP uh, and a great All Star guard and Kyrie Irving like Kyrie Irving to build around.
2: Chris, the Jazz at 4-2 uh, at this point, it looks as though Mike Conley is Mike Conley again. He's rediscovered himself, and he's been playing terrific.
0: Yeah, and, and look, that was picking up before the stoppage last season. You start to see Mike Conley get more comfortable in, in that Quinn Snyder offense. And, and look, we talked about this a lot. That's sort of to be expected. I mean, you know, Mike played one way in Memphis for a number of years. It's not an easy adjustment to kind of – step into a new coach new system new teammates and play entirely differently but he's a very smart player and you know going back to the end of last season or the middle of before the stoppage he was he looked like he was comfortable in that jazz system and you're seeing uh some of that right now i mean there are other problems with utah i don't think Bogdanovic is all the way back at this point and, and that's going to take some time and like everybody else in the league the jazz defense isn't very good uh but you know overall you've got to be enthused by by some of the things you're seeing with Utah.
1: Shaq had some strong words about Rudy Gobert in a podcast saying something along the lines of all you have to do to get 205 million dollars is average 11 points. What do you think Shaq's picking on Rudy?
0: Well, I mean it's it's I think in part it's sour grapes from anybody that didn't play in this era. I mean, Shaq would have loved to have been a 205 million dollar man based on those types of numbers I think you know Shaq's point is you know you know Gobert's not you know the not the kind of player I was not an all-around type of player and that's fine but you're worth what you're worth in the NBA and the Jazz deemed you know Gobert's presence especially defensively as being worth committing that kind of income to all it takes is one team to 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 feel that way I mean you look at what Gordon Hayward got this offseason with uh, with Charlotte you know 120 million dollars he really worth that no but the Hornets Decided he was. I mean, I, look, I, I've heard this a lot from players who played in different eras. Um, you know, are seeing the money just explode in today's NBA, uh, but I really do think it's more sour grapes than anything else. These guys, most of them, I and mean, Shaq got paid for sure, but most of them wa- wish they were getting paid the type of dollars these players are getting paid.
2: Chris, uh, Jake, and I were talking earlier about how the, in the Jazz losses, the two losses. Donovan Mitchell was not particularly efficient, and we wondered if he was going to go out and and try to uh, impose his will on games like he did in the bubble at times against Denver. But he's kind of gone the other way. He's been looking for his teammates and finding them with uh, open shots, and the Jazz have seemed to prosper. Under that, What should a star player like him do? Is it good for him to back off on occasion as far as looking for his own shot as opposed to always playing like a star?
0: Yeah, I, I think it's better to back off, especially in regular season situations. I mean, if you're Donovan Mitchell, you're young and you're obviously extremely talented offensively, but you've got to share the wealth and you've got to make sure that teammates are involved during games, in part to make sure they're there when you really need them in the fourth quarter and in part to make sure you're not burnt out. I mean, how many times in the playoffs in the last four years have we seen James Harden just hit a wall? And I'm not trying to compare Harden and, and Donovan specifically, but when you, you know, exercise, that type of energy exercise, that type of energy in the regular season, there's a consequence to it in the playoffs. So, you know, you certainly want to see him in end of game situations taking over last five, six minutes, but for the previous 40 or 42, whatever it may be, you've, uh, you've got to make sure everybody else is, is getting involved. So I think that mindset is the right one for Donovan Mitchell.
1: Chris, I don't know if you're a big Office fan, but there's a there's an episode where Michael looks at Toby uh, and says, why are you the way that you are? Uh, <laughs> keep that in mind for a second, because in Sacramento, Marvin Bagley's dad tweets out that the Kings should trade Marvin Bagley, and then De'Aaron Fox's dad tweets out and agrees and says, yes, the Kings should trade Marvin Bagley. Why are the Kings the way that they are?
0: I mean, it's, it's a good question. Um, but they're certainly a team that's been plagued by goofiness for decades. Um, you know, whether it's the DeMarcus Cousins stuff or the things that are happening more recently with Vlade Divac and now here we are uh, with another situation. I mean, I <laughs> look, I, I think if you're Marvin Bagley, you got to tell your dad not to do that. Like, just to, you know, it doesn't do anybody any favors. Like, you know, his dad demanding a trade for his son, you know, isn't going to change or isn't going to motivate Monty McNair, the GM there to do anything. And I don't know why De'Aaron Fox's father would ever get involved in, in something like that. It just, look, it just infects the locker room. And even though the media is not around as much anymore, physically, these players are all going to get asked about it. They have nothing to do with it. They're all going to get asked about it and have to come up with some type of answer to this particular situation. And look, that festers, you know, it, it becomes a talking point, you know, amongst guys in the locker room with each other and, you know with with other people and it just has the ability to derail a season pretty quickly. I mean, I look, maybe they should trade Marvin Marvin Bagley. I mean, the fact is they should have drafted Marvin Bagley in the first place, should drafted Luka Doncic with that spot, but um if Marvin Bagley's not happy there, you know, it certainly is worth a conversation about, you know, what his future is going to be.
2: Chris, we've talked with you in the past about jumping to conclusions and, and getting there too early at this point in the season. But what do you make of the Suns?
0: Are they one of the better teams in the West? Do you believe this? Yeah, I'm I'm buying into the Suns as kind of a middle-of-the-pack playoff team right now. Um, you know, Chris Paul was kind of the round peg, round hole type of fit for them. I mean, Ricky Rubio was really good for them the last few years. But Chris Paul, you know, takes them to another level. You've got a guy that can not only help players around him get better, and I think there are seven players in Phoenix averaging double figures right now, but in the fourth quarter, he's another offensive option. And, you know, for the last few years, it's been load up on Devin Booker and nobody else could really help. Now you have Chris Paul, who was one of the better clutch scorers in the league last season, uh, there to take some of the pressure off. So, yeah, I mean, look, I still have my questions about the front court. I'm not going to buy into DeAndre Ayton just yet as kind of a winning player in the playoffs, but you know their their backcourt is really solid. Their role players with Bridges and others are really good. Uh, if they can get you know consistency from that front court, they can be a really tough team in the playoffs.
1: Kind of a similar question, but about Atlanta in the East. Are they how legit are they?
0: I don't know. I mean, that's another team that that is really good offensively, but just abhorrent defensively. Like they they just give up points by the dozen and. Yeah, you know, I think they made some good moves. They made some great moves, really. Probably one of the better off-seasons of anyone in the league with Bogdanovic and Rajon Rondo and Danilo Gallinari. And all these guys are going to help make them a playoff team. But until they get stops, I, I, don't, I don't know what to think of them. I, I just don't. I mean, you know, Trey Young is having another brilliant offensive season. He's getting the free-throw line like 12 times per game. And he's got a little Chris Paul in him as well, where he's learned how to kind of stop short and have guys run over him, and he'll get to the free-throw line. Uh, but none of them defend, at least not at a high, particularly high level. So I, I need to see more of that. I mean, they're outscoring teams right now. Uh, we'll see where they are in February, March when things settle in. Are they able to, to be a better defensive team? If they are, they're, they're certainly a, a playoff team for sure, uh, and maybe more if they can get better on that end.
2: Chris, the Jazz played the Spurs yesterday. Now, as we mentioned, they have the Nets coming up on the road and then the Knicks on the road, the Bucks on the road, the Pistons on the road, the Cavs on the road, and the Wizards on the road. Are road games uh, not what they once were with the fans not there? Is this an opportunity not to be afraid of these kinds of long trips? Well,
0: I mean, the long trips are they're problematic for several reasons, right? Like, you know, you go into a hostile arena, that's bad. But really just being on the road as often as they are, and I don't want to express too much sympathy for people that fly on private jets and stay in five-star hotels and all that, but it can be a drag, especially when you get towards the last two or three games of that trip. So I think that part of these road trips are still there. But there's no question, uh, you know, you're basically playing in a neutral site every single day, you know, whether it's at home or – or on the road, you're, you're you're not feeling any type of, of way about being in that building. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think it comes down, I, I thought this in the bubble, it comes down to mental toughness. Like, how many can these teams be mentally tough and disciplined to avoid situations like we saw when the Clippers came to Salt Lake City and had to quarantine a bunch of guys because they were getting sloppy, and, and obviously Durant's got a situation of his own that he's dealing with. You've got to be real disciplined and real mentally tough to get through this season. And the teams that do... Uh, at least in the regular season, are going to have a chance to, to put themselves in a good position.
1: Chris, thank you very much as always. We appreciate you. Talk to you next
2: week. You got it, guys.
1: Chris Mannix, a senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, and he joins us on Mondays, uh, part of your daily assist.
2: Do you think there are some players who actually look forward to going out on the road and playing in front of a hostile crowd? And yes. That that actually spins their beanie. But uh, in this case, you know, you face a bunch of – Darkness.
1: Do you remember, uh, um, let's see here, it was uh, when Gordon Hayward was still with the Jazz, and it was the year before they finally made the playoffs, and they were in contention for the playoffs, and Darren Williams was washing out of the league with the Mavericks, and, and the fans booed him, and Darren had just this amazing game to eliminate yeah. the Jazz from the playoffs. Uh-huh. Like he was yep. 20 years old. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I, don't, I, I think that was the end of his last season. And he still managed. He played with the Cavs after that. Did he I play think, with the – oh, you're right. He did because they tried to tape it together for a run with LeBron. You're right about that. But he he eliminated the Jazz from the playoffs because the fans booed him. <laughs> said as much in the post. He did. He said as much in the game. That's right.
2: Some players, I mean, they just love that stuff, you know, and others not so much.
1: Well, it'll be interesting. uh, We were talking about this uh, with David on last night's broadcast. You know, I've been saying uh, I can't wait to read all the books written about the bubble. But I'll read the book uh, written about this season, too, because I think that you're going to see a lot more road teams win. And uh, we're going to see the effectiveness of fans and that sort of thing kind of proven out. I, I think we've seen it in other sports. You know, college football was wacky. You couldn't count on the home team getting an advantage.
2: Well, that that is punitive for the Jazz because, you know, they usually play pretty well at home, and some of that has to do with the travel of uh, the opponent, Uh, you know, coming around to Salt Lake City on their way back east or wherever. But uh, they they don't get the boost that they normally do on their home floor. So we'll see if it has those advantages on the road, but it uh, hurts them at home.
1: Well, for example, Gordon, last night there were eight games, six of which were won by the road team. Yeah. That, okay, in in normal life, that never happens. Yeah. And it actually looked for a hot minute last night, like all eight road teams were going to win. That didn't end up happening. But, I mean, that would be unheard of in a normal time.
2: Yeah. Well... (laughs) Have at it then, right? Because this is the long not this the longest road trip of the season?
1: Yes, it's the longest road trip the Jazz have had since the Winter Olympics in O two. Wow.
2: One, two, three, four, seven, five, six, seven. Yep. yep. Seven.
1: And and it's, you know, it makes sense. You know, you get your traveling out in big chunks. And, uh, you know, think of ways to to mitigate risk, and I I think that's a a smart one, so you certainly understand.
2: It's kind of interesting because after they get off that long trip, then they have one game at home against the Hawks, and then they go back out on the road for one game against the Nuggets, and then they have one, two, three, four, five, six home games in a row, and they go away for one game again against the Nuggets, and they come back home again. So uh, giveth and taketh.
1: All right, we'll have uh, more big show uh, coming up. Big thanks to Chris Mannix for dropping by. Stay tuned. 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.